following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Another upside of the uh, announcement and the prayer, I don't have to say good morning now. That's <laughs> worked out good for me, that's all. Well, uh, we began our work in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 15 through 20 last week, and we're going to continue working on those, on those verses this morning. You can turn there with me, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, it's page 983 in the Pew Bibles, and uh, Sam will have it up on the screen, I think. Um, well, there are two parts to this text um, this morning. It's kind of like two verses of a song. Uh, it's all one song, but two very distinct parts. The first part we dealt with last week, and the second we're going to look at today. So we're going to read that, uh, and then we'll pray. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Paul writes, He is the, invis- the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's pray. Father, again, we are so grateful for your word. We're thankful, Lord, that we have the freedom to gather today to open your word together to talk about what you have to say to us. We thank you that you have spoken through your word and you continue to speak through it. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that opens our eyes to see what you are doing and what you are saying. And we pray that you would do that work with us this morning as we look at your word, that you would open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, and soften our hearts to receive your message and be transformed. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, so last week we start, I asked you to uh, picture Jesus in your mind. So what was he like in that first picture? Do you remember last week? Okay. What was he like in that first picture? What was he doing? Anybody want to share? No, don't be embarrassed. Go ahead. Pastor's wife, she has to volunteer. <laughs> Sitting with the children. Okay. Good. Anybody picture flannel graph? I fl- it's like paper and felt on the back to stick. Um, that's just me. Sorry. <laughs> Linda?
fire and lights. Okay. Cool. Right? I saw some hands over here. Virginia. Isaiah 5, if you want to look for that one. I like that one. That's a good. A train of his robe filled the temple. Yes, Stephanie. Mm. Yeah, good. Good. Joe? Yeah, Joel. Michelangelo Jesus. Mm. I always knew you were a Renaissance man. Yeah. <laughs> Mark that one down. That was good. I thought. else want to share? Joe. I love Joe. As a servant. Okay. Good. Julia. That's a revelation, Jesus. That's great. Yeah. Okay, anybody else want to share? This is great. Yeah, Andrew. Surrounded by angels. Wonderful. Wonderful. See, I'd ask this so we can talk about, I can talk about some eschatology with some of you later. Um, Correct your doctrine, that's all. No problem. <laughs> Just kidding. So I'm curious, is that the same picture that you had at the beginning last week? Did that picture change at all? Or this is no, I'm not gonna change your mind. This is the picture that you're gonna have no matter what I say. I'm just curious. No. Well, yes, it does, kind of. Um it's multiple choice, yes. Yes and no. That's a, that's a stroke victim answer. Yes, no. No, yes. It's the same thing. All right. Well, I think um, 
I think that that the first verse of this song that we looked at in the Colossians 1, like verse 15 uh, through 17, I think that that first the first part of that old song describes Jesus as John saw him in Revelation, as some of you have described here, uh, in Revelation 1:12 through 17. Um, he says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That's those first verses that we talked about. The, the, the universe creating and holding together Jesus. Um, and isn't John's response proper? Isn't that the proper response when you picture that Jesus? Where do you go? Hey, man, great to see you. <laughs> no, on your face like you're dead. That's where we go and thinking about Jesus in that way. But as we look at the second verse of the old song, the second half, we see him described a little differently. Uh, we don't see him described as uh, golden sash and white hair and power and fire and lightning and all of that sort of thing. We see him described a little differently. And there's a miraculous event that happens between the two verses of this song. Verse 1 robed in majesty and power verse 2 a little different and there's a miraculous thing that happens in the middle do you know what it is? Christmas you don't see that? you don't know this verse about Christmas? well they are the eternally existent son creator and sustainer of all creation Immortal, invisible, God only wise was described there in those first verses. And now we're going to look at that same God made flesh, Emmanuel, who is God with us. I mentioned last week seven aspects of Jesus Christ in these verses, and we covered three of them, and we are going to get through the other four today. We talk about that he is the firstborn over all creation. Not that he was born first or created first, but that he is the owner and possessor of all things. He is the heir of all things. And that he is the creator and sustainer of all things. Because all things were created by him and for him and are held together by him. And now we're going to look at the last uh, four attributes of Christ, which is God veiled in flesh the incarnate deity that we sing about at Christmas time the first of those aspects is found in verse 18 where he says and he is the head of the body the church now in our day I think the church is considered old 
and old-fashioned. Uh, our values and standards are outdated. But to the Colossians, who Paul is writing to, in their time and culture, the church was something totally brand new and foreign. People didn't know it, didn't know what it was about. And regardless of how our godless culture views the church, in truth, it is still something new. Paul uses the metaphor of the church as a body a lot in his writing. You can see him write about it in Romans 12, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and chapter 10 and chapter 12, and Ephesians chapters 3, 4, and 5. Paul talks about the metaphor of the church as a body, and we are all members of it. But the reminder here is that Christ himself is the head of that body. That he is the author of it, the ruler over it. He alone is the one who designed it and determines how it should function. There are a lot of ideas about how the church ought to be and how it should act and how it should function. There are millions of books on the subject. I don't think Christian bookstores would even exist if it wasn't for church strategy and plans. But if those books and those ideas are not centered on the simple phrase that Jesus is the head of the body, the church, then they are wrong. Pastor, not the head of the church. Elders are not the head of the church. The Pope is not the, center, the head of the church. Those ideas are wrong. It is Christ who is the head of the church. Have any of you, I know some of you have, but have you ever had chickens? You ever raised chickens? You know, chickens are not pets, right? There comes a time when the freezer is empty and the chicken pen is full. And that needs to change, right? You've heard the expression, I know you have, of a chicken with his head cut off, running around like a chicken with his head cut off, right? Well, here is, a, here is an explanation of the church. It's like a chicken with his head cut off. Sometimes. Can be. We sometimes use that expression, run around like a chicken with the head cut off, to describe the frenetic Activity and the crazy pace of our lives. But that's really not very accurate. Because when you, if you've ever slaughtered chickens, when you cut their head off, it just, the chicken does not just run around uh, crazy. It is completely out of control. It's not just, look at it run in circles. Let's time it to see how many times, you know, how fast you go around the house. No, they're flipping, flopping, and they're completely out of control. Running around might be seen as productive, but that's not what happens to chickens. There is nothing at all controlling their natural impulses, and they fling themselves and flail around without any sense of control at all. I don't think I need to explain this any further. <laughs> I wish I had a video, though. That would have been helpful. We're at good times. We can traumatize the kids. Well, the truth of the matter is, is this is exactly what happens to churches. It's what happens to churches when they lose the sense of who their head is. 
They lose the sense of the head. We have a tendency to invent our own ways based on what we think will work or what some author said worked in his church or her church someplace or what is practical and pragmatic or sounds really good and trendy but is not in full submission to God's word. See, there is already a book written on how the church should be. And you know what? It's the number one all-time bestseller. It's right here. It's the Bible. When we ignore our head and his design for his body, the church, we are no better than a headless chicken. Not only we're moving around and full of activity, and oh, that's wonderful, but what that chicken doesn't know, and many churches that operate that way don't know, is that they're already dead. They might still be moving around, but they're just flopping, and pretty soon they're dead. Jesus is the head, He is the author, He is the designer, He is the beginning. Of the church. It cannot truly exist without him. Since he is both the beginning and the head of the church, any group that calls itself a church but does not recognize Jesus as head is merely a social club and will, will, will be not only ineffective for spreading the gospel, obviously, but will actually be counterproductive to the work of the church, keeping people from faith in Christ rather than calling them to it. I don't think that people recognize or realize what's really at stake. When you do church, do church, quote-unquote, according to your plan and what what you think will work best and not God's design according to his word. There are lots of groups of really nice, loving, well-intentioned people that are still bound for hell because they don't teach people. They just teach people to be nice and to be loving, but don't ever talk about trusting in Christ and his work on the cross to pay the penalty for their sin. This is wrong. It is counterproductive to the work of Christ in the world. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. And he is also the firstborn from the dead. Now, if you remember from last week, we talk about that term, firstborn. Jesus was not only the first person ever resurrected from the dead, but he is the owner and possessor of life and death itself. He is preeminent. He is supreme over life and death. Did you know that? Who's in charge of death? It's Jesus. Just as he is in charge of life, it's Jesus. We don't get to decide. He does. In Revelation 1, 17 and 18, Jesus said, Fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades, death and hell, death and the grave. Jesus is the one who is control, in control of those things.
Lazarus, Tabitha, Eutychus. Have you ever heard these names before? What do they have in common? They were raised from the dead. Now, wait a minute. I thought Jesus was the first one to raise from the dead. Oh, well, let's clear that up because you were wondering, obviously. Pretty sure we could have skipped this paragraph. These, these three, and there are others recorded in Scripture, they were once raised to life after dying, but they were merely resuscitated, not resurrected. And that means they, they were brought back to life and they died again. I don't think that's a blessing. I think that's a curse. You had to die twice? That's bad news. Man. They were raised by the Holy Spirit, uh, by the Holy Spirit's power, but they, they had to die again. Now, Jesus, it's not like that. Jesus died and was raised never to taste death again. He is alive now. He is alive forevermore because he is supreme over death and the grave. Verse 19 through 20 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I think that's a wonderful thing. That Jesus cares about reconciliation. So much so that it cost him his life. That we could be reconciled to God our Father and give us a pattern to be reconciled to our brothers and sisters. Now that's a wonderful thing. But see, there is a great conflict between natural men and good. A great barrier that mankind created that separates us from good. And the Bible calls that barrier sin. Perhaps you've heard of it before. It began with Adam and Eve's disobedience in the Garden of Eden. And it continues today because people, we, are sinners by nature and by choice. Left to ourselves, without God's intervention, we will continue in sin. We will continue to re- reject God. We will continue to be, as the Bible describes us, God's enemies. We will continue happily at odds with our Maker until we are destroyed because of it. That's bad news, I think. But because of his great love for us, our Father didn't want it to be that way. Right? God didn't just put on an earth suit just for fun to try it out and strut around among his creation. That's not what Jesus came to do. He willingly and happily put on flesh because he was the only one who could truly pay the penalty that our sin deserves. In Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That word has struck me. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. He thought, you know, this is a good idea. I like this because I want my kids back. I want my kids back. (laughs) 
He wanted to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You know, when we have a conflict with someone, that we know it's there, we know it's real, and we don't want it anymore, somebody has to take the first step to fix that. Someone has to make the first move. And for us, it was good. He made the first move that we could be reconciled, that we could have peace with him through the blood of his cross. He was the only one that could do it. He's the only one that could make a way through the barrier that separates man from God. He was the only one who could do what was necessary to make peace between us by dying in our place on the cross, shedding his own blood in our place. The way of reconciliation, the way to peace with God, is through faith in his Son, Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, the creator and sustainer of all things, whether visible or invisible, the head of the body, the beginning of the church, the firstborn, the owner and possessor of death, preeminent over life and death itself, the reconciler of God and man, the peacemaker through the cross. It's only through faith in him that that barrier is erased and can be built up again. The way through that barrier is a narrow way, but it is the only way. We have to find that way. And you know, sometimes it seems like I tell this old story every week, but it's a story needs telling. It's a story we need to know. Not just so that we can have faith, but so that we know it well enough to share the story with everyone else. That's the purpose of our gathering here this morning. It's not for me to do the work of the ministry, but it's to equip you, the saints, to do the work of the ministry. And this is the story that we have to tell. That God did what was necessary to crush the barrier that separates us from him. He did all the work. He took the first step so that we could be reconciled. What's our step? <laughs> we have it easy. We accept it. Why? When you think about coming to faith, you think about all the things you have to let go. Well, geez, I can't, you know, smoke and drink and swear and chew and I can't date the girls I do in order to, in order to follow Christ. But you know, what we gain is so much greater than any foolishness we might give up. Don't you think? I certainly think so. We give up evil and gain freedom. What a bad deal for us, huh? He gave his life on the cross and we get eternal life through faith in him. We get the best part of the deal. Amen. I'm going to stop talking. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your great love for us. 
We thank you for your design for your church, that we would be a body functioning together, each individual piece having its part to play, just like a family. We're so grateful, Lord, that uh, we didn't have to create this idea. We didn't have to make up this design. We just follow the pattern that you laid down. You're better at this than us. The church is yours. Your plan, your design, your people, your children. We don't want to try to figure out a new way to do things. We just want to do things the way our Father described for us in his word. So, Lord, we pray for help to do that. We pray for your help to see the things that we should do or not do, how we should be or not be, according to your word. We thank you, Lord, for being the reconciler between God and man, that you did what was necessary to reconnect us in relationship with you, that we don't have to be good enough or be nice enough or do enough good works to earn your favor. You already have given us your favor. All we have to do is receive it in faith. We thank you, Lord, for doing what was necessary to adopt us as your kids. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. And thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.